Brian and Angie Perry's son, Ethan, was diagnosed with T-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma when he had just turned 12 years old in July of 2020. On today's podcast, they will talk about Ethan's difficult treatment for this cancer, which normally has a very high cure rate. Unfortunately, in early 2021, while Ethan was being treated at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, which is one of the great cancer hospitals, his cancer quickly spread and Ethan passed away on March 25th of 2021. Brian and Angie will also talk about the caring band that Ethan wore during his treatment and the 6,000 messages of support that he received during his fight and even after he passed away. The Perry's plan is to increase their involvement that they have already been at for quite some time to help other kids and families who have been battling similar issues to what Ethan bravely went through. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It is now my pleasure to introduce Brian and Angie Perry to my listeners and welcome you both to my podcast. Thank you very much for joining me, and it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Now, I want to start with Brian. Uh, Obviously, both of you have been on quite a journey, which began over two years ago in July of 2020. Now, Brian, did you notice uh, any symptoms that were out of the ordinary that Ethan was complaining about that forced you into doing something and doing something fairly quickly? So what forced us into doing something was Ethan had been um, complaining of a stomach ache for about three days. And I finally said, "Okay, let's go over to urgent care. And we went over to urgent care and they examined him and they thought maybe he had appendicitis and they said, take him to the emergency room. And so we went to um, the emergency room here in uh, in, in Sugarland. Uh, Children's Memorial Herman um, has a emergency room there. And so we went there and then they were doing, <clears throat> you know, some routine tests to see what was wrong with him. They started with ultrasounds. They ruled out appendicitis. And then they discovered that he had a a liter and a half of fluid in his lungs. So from there, we were transferred to Children's Memorial Hermann Hospital downtown because we were told that they needed to drain that liter and a half fluid in his lungs. So next thing you know, we're in an ambulance and at the hospital. And then over the that that it, it that moved very quickly, Um, you know, and upon draining the fluid, they obviously excuse me test the fluid. And then when they test it, they discovered lymphocytes. And then, you know, then there's oncologists and so on and so forth. And then next thing you know, um, on uh, on July 30th, so it was the 26th, we went to the hospital. And it was on July 30th that we were told that it was cancer. Um, and then in between all that, of course, this is when COVID, in between all that, they're trying to rule out every other thing. Is it tuberculosis? Is it COVID? Is it this? Is it that? And of course, 
they would scratch these items off the list, but cancer was never scratched off the list. And then, yeah, we were, uh, we became a cancer, uh, when we began our cancer journey then on July 30th. And during the four day period or three or four days that uh, he was doing the tests, did the thought of cancer cross your mind or were you still assuming that it was something other than that? So it only, it only crossed my mind because that's one of the um, things that was on the list that they told me it could be. Um, we were trying to, we didn't want to scare Ethan or upset him because this is the first time he had ever really been in a hospital for anything. Um, and so, but he, he actually had figured it out because when we were in a isolation room, he said to me, how come they keep uh, skirting around this issue and they think it may be cancer? And then I said, well, I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, I said, until we definitively know, we'll know. I said, until then they're going to really just look at everything. So he, he, at that point knew that that seat cancer word or cancer was on the table. I don't know how much he knew about it. Cause I know that, you know, I, he was perplexed as, as just as much as I was perplexed the whole thing. But, you know, I did have a few doctors say that, and, and I don't know if they just were saying this to be kind or whatever, but, you know, some people said, nah, I don't think it's cancer. I think it's something else. And, but, you know, until you, until you get those test results and those things, then you really can't go on anything. Now, uh, Angie, I want to ask you this question. Had you or Brian been familiar in any type of personal sense with pediatric cancer from a, uh, a friend, a child, or a family member, or or someone that you knew uh, before Ethan was diagnosed? At school. Oh yeah. So at his um, elementary school, there there was a girl who. Um, who had cancer and um, who fought bravely for several years. And um, everyone knew her at the school. Her name was Marley. And, um, you know, there was a point that she was, um, they did a parade for her and Ethan knew her. She was, a, a you know, a grade above him. And they, you know, did a parade for her. She drove through the um, campus. And so, that was his only exposure to someone um, that that had cancer throughout his childhood. So um, he knew of her and they recognized the school recognized her um, her diagnosis and um, basically honored her um, in different ways. So there was some sort of recognition on your part about um someone else in the school that had this, but not to the personal level that you were uh, necessarily involved with it um, on a personal basis. Is that correct? That's correct. Not at all. I mean, we didn't have any close friends or family members that were touched by cancer. So this was really, really uh, new to us. And um, we were just thrown into something that the unknown, basically. Now, Brian. Ethan is diagnosed with T-cell lymphoblastic lymphoma, which is a very rare offshoot of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, normally, um, a blood cancer like lymphoma, if I think if you don't have the T-cell uh, attached to it, is quite curable. 
Um, and, and I don't think it's, it, it may not be on the, on the, uh, the save the same line as acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which generally has a 90% cure rate, but this was obviously a different type of lymphoma. What were his doctors saying, uh, about, uh, his disease? And did you get a sense that they were optimistic that they were going to, uh, help uh, him beat this? Yeah. So when we, well, on diagnosis day, when we met the um, his head oncologist who treats lymphoma, um, you know we were we were told that the, you know I didn't know lymphoma from leukemia at that point honestly, um, and we were told that the treatment is similar to that of leukemia, which it is. It's a lot of the same protocols, and you know we were told on on that day that there was a you know a eighty five percent survival rate. Um, you know, as long as there's no relapse involved, um, so on and so forth. And so, you know, it was, it was a, a whirlwind. In fact, I mean, I still remember the conversation I had with that doctor and it was, they were, you know, everyone was optimistic. Even Ethan was optimistic. I mean, you know, part of, part of what we tell people about Ethan was, you know, when, when he, this, he was told after this conversation that Angela and I had with the doctor and, you know, when they told him it was cancer, you know, everyone in the room was crying, obviously. And, uh, you know, once the tears were wiped away, Ethan just says to everyone, I'm going to do what I can to fight this. And that really became his mantra. And I mean, and, and just everyone really rallied behind him and, you know, and we, and he was, he was a champ. I mean, he never, never complained about the surgeries, the procedures, all, all of that. I mean, he was, I think, I think I only could count on my hand the number of times he cried. I mean, now I don't have a, there's probably not enough fingers around this planet for how many to count how many times I cried. So, you know, I mean, I always say he's the bravest person I ever met. It's unbelievable how resilient these kids can be and are. And I'm going to direct this question to Angie. Now, what he just said, uh, what, what Ethan had said, is he's going to beat this. And I'd say nine times out of 10, it's the pediatric cancer patient who develops this attitude and leads his parents uh, by the way that he is so positive and so determined. Did his attitude rub off on you? And was he leading the way uh, to at least a certain extent uh, in your mind? Yeah, he was, he was very positive. Um, he was brave and resilient and he showed strength beyond his age. Um, his doctor, his oncologist called him an old soul and, um, he was a very, very bright, very intelligent kid. Um, and I was keeping hope from the beginning. I was, um, remaining positive, not crying in front of him, being strong, showing him that, he can do this and I'm there every step of the way to, to, um, go through what he's going through and to help him and to support him and to be his advocate. Most of all is to make sure that he's going through the, the treatment. And he, he even, um, he was very bright and he caught on to some, some things that, um, different ways of, um, for example, his port needle size changed and they hadn't changed it in his chart. And the nurse was about to 
um, um, access his port with the wrong needle. And he's like, wait, wait a minute. What, what needle size do you have? And she told him the, the other size. And he's like, no, it changed to this one. So he was very cognizant of everything that was happening to him. Every medicine he had to take, he even made a chart, like the type of medicine, does he swallow? Does he swish and spit? Does he, um, it was just remarkable, um, the things that he came up with. I think, I think the other interesting thing about during his treatment was and that I, I realized this early on from when he had, when he had realized that it may be cancer, even before the you know, the diagnosis was that, you know, a lot of parents sometimes, you know, the conversations they had with the doctors are not in the room with the child. And we decided early on that, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to keep anything from him. This is his body. This is his, his life His he's the one that has to, you know, he's the one that the needles are going into that the tests are being done on that the chemo is going to be done on. And so we, he was involved in every conversation and that, that actually made things a lot easier. I think not only on us and, and, uh, but it was, I think it was easier for him because he knew what was to be expected of him. He knew what was going to happen. He knew, he knew everything. And, and that really put, put our mind at ease to know that, you know, cause look, if he's fighting then he has to know what he's fighting for and he has to be, you know, he was in it to win it, so to speak. Yeah. We were very transparent with him. We, spoke in front of the doctors with him in the room. Yeah. He knew everything that was going on um, with his body. Yeah. And, and he seemed like the type of kid that uh, if you didn't speak in front of him and be transparent, he was going to wonder what was going on anyway, because he had that kind of a mind that could figure things out. So obviously um, uh, you did the thing that was proper, I believe. Yeah. Now, now Brian, um, as we discussed, the diagnosis came on July 30th of 2020. Can you talk about, uh, at least to some degree, about the treatment that he was given uh, once once uh, the diagnosis came and he was in the hospital? So, yeah, once the so that Thursday he was diagnosed and then things moved rather quickly Um because we were, you know, we were introduced to the oncology team and then we were introduced to the pharmacist. And then next thing you know, the surgeons there talking about putting the inserting his his port in, in, you know, and doing that surgery. And then, you know, the CT scans, the PET scans, all of these things. And so that from that Thursday, you know, they did they had uh, they had done some biopsies. They had done some PET scans and then they. uh on Tuesday was when he had um, his port put in and they had started chemo. So it was like from what, whatever that Tuesday was after the 30th, after July 30th, they had already started chemo, you know, so they'd started the, 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 the treatments, the plan that, that he was on, which I, I, I forget. It was a, it was, it was a, a standard protocol. Yeah. It was a standard protocol. I, something 11. I, I don't remember the exact number. I'd have to look it up. Was it mostly chemotherapy? Oh yeah. It was, it was chemotherapy. It was all, you know, it was uh, Donna, Donna Rubitson, I believe is the name. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. It was uh Vin Christine. It was uh, some uh, pegasperginase, which he actually had a reaction to. It was the, those kind of those standard those standard treatment drugs for leukemia that they use to also treat lymphoma? You know, when you when you mention that drug, 
Uh, I apologize. Well, when you mentioned that 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 uh, one of those drugs that he was allergic to, uh, I just did a podcast with uh, a mother whose daughter was allergic to the same drug, and uh, they had had to be replaced with a drug I believe called Irwinase. Yes. And was that the same situation that happened with uh, with Ethan? Yes, it was. So, um, so yeah. So pe- he had a, a allergic reaction to pegasparaginase, and pegasparaginase um, can cause, uh, at least in Ethan's case, it caused a. He was at a, a high. He had a high propensity for blood clotting, and so nobody knew that until we didn't know all this until later, till they did tests and everything. But so. Um, as, after about three weeks in the hospital, he came home and then, um, four days later he had a seizure and then we were back in the hospital. And then they had, you know, after looking at dates, looking at drugs, looking at reactions, they realized that it was the pegasparaginase that caused him to, um, have a blood clot and then caused him to have a seizure. So he immediately could not, he couldn't take pegasparaginase until a certain, certain time, which they tried again. And then, it worked once and then the third time it he started to react again and so then they had to switch him to the the that urbanase drug right. which was very rare and expensive at the time and still is now he was able to uh return to school at least on an online basis and i'm going to direct this question to angie was the fact that you know he was able to participate in school as i said online and he was also accepted to the junior national uh, honor society in middle school how encouraging was that for you and uh, Brian to see him performing so well, uh, despite what he was dealing with? Yeah, he was, he was, um, you know, when I asked the doctor, the oncologist, whether or not he should pursue school, he's like, he wasn't very, um, he's like, that's not something, that's something that can wait. But for us as a family, I, I felt it, it, you know, for him to have a routine, for him to have an outlet, for it not to be all medical. Um, so he did pursue, pursue um, school because, you know, we are all thinking that we're going to get through this. And, you know, he doesn't want to be left behind and 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 be with his classmates um, and graduate with it. He was supposed to be the class of 2026. So um he took his classes and we had, we had a, a, a teacher come to the house, um, first for those first few months until he, you know, relapsed and then it was done, um, all virtually. So, um, he was, he was nominated for the, um, National Junior Honor Society. And that's something that, uh, you get nominated in the seventh grade. So then in the eighth grade, you would, you would um, start at that point. And um, I said, I, you know, I sat with him and I said, here's the application. And, um, you know, they want you to fill it out, all your activities and submit pictures and everything. And, you know, he did it. And um, it was, it was so nice that he was able to, to know that he, he got accepted before he, Past and um, what the students did for him afterwards is when they they create they have their shirt and so their National Junior Honor Society shirt. We found out that on the side of the shirt they put um, angel wings and Ethan's initials for that. There he's always with them. 
So that's something that they wore and they um, gave us T-shirts as well. Mm. well it's certainly a, a very, very nice tribute, obviously. Now, Brian, um, after five months of treatment, which I think would take you to either the end of 2020 or perhaps the early days of 2021, uh, Ethan's cancer began to spread. I guess this is the relapse you were talking about. Or that Angel yeah, so so right after, um, right on Christmas, a couple of days after Christmas, he he wasn't feeling too well. And he wasn't, he wasn't, honestly, he wasn't looking too good. And so I had, you know, because of all these COVID protocols, it's not like I could just drive them to the, you know, clinic or whatever. And so they're like, you know, I'd obviously called the after hours number and this was on New Year's Eve. And so on, on New Year's Eve on the 31st, I said, yeah, he's not feeling too well. And he was kind of in between, he was in between chemo regiments. So I think he was coming off of a chemo program or whatever. And he was kind of in between. And I said, yeah, I'm going to bring him by. I said, okay, we'll bring him to the emergency room. And so we went to the emergency room and it was really interesting because it was the same emergency room doctor that had treated him when we were transferred to the hospital. So it was the same emergency room doctor and it was the same symptoms. He, he, they, you know, after going to the emergency room, they realized there's another, you know, his his lung is filled with fluid again. So it was the, the a pleural effusion. So he had the same symptoms. And so it was like this deja vu repeat thing. And then they had to drain that. And then that uh, New Year's Eve turned into when the our oncologist said, okay, um, I need I need more uh, tools in the tool shed. So I'm going to uh, transfer you from Children Memorial Herman to MD Anderson Cancer Center. And, and those two ho- um, hospitals are in partnership with each other. It's just that we needed to be at MD Anderson to have, uh, like I said, more better access to drugs and things that we could do um, to try to beat this, whatever we could. So, yeah, New Year's Eve was basically um, getting transferred um, into the into an ambulance and then driven over to MD Anderson, which I remember too, right at the right at the stroke of midnight, um, you know, I, it, my watch beeped on the hour. I looked down at it as we were being wheeled into uh, MD Anderson and it was uh, 2021 at that point. And so I was like, oh, happy new year. Here we are in a different hospital. Uh, certainly not the way that anybody wants to celebrate uh, New Year's Eve, of course. And I'm no. going to stick with you, Brian, on this question. Now, the doctors had told you originally that there was around an 85% chance um, that uh, Ethan's lymphoma could be cured, barring a relapse. W- did they have anything or what were they telling you after the relapse? And did they um, indicate one way or the other? Uh, what the next step would be to keep him on a path that before the relapse was, uh, was headed in a good direction. So the, the plan was that, yeah, we knew that he relapsed. Um, at the plan at that point was basically to, uh, fire some different drugs at it to get him into a state of remission, to get him a bone marrow transplant. So that was the, that was the plan. And so he started the first uh, regiment of some newer drugs and different drugs that were not necessarily, I think he, I, I think these were drugs, you know, some of these drugs were not necessarily ever used on 
on patients of his age of being 12. Um, but again, here we were at a research hospital uh, being able to try these things. And um, so that was the plan. And we were very, you know, look, we were obviously we were very hopeful that they were going to be able to do that. Um, you know, it's 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 I had it's it's really interesting how you have to have a lot of faith in these doctors, you know, to and, you know, you in in you you basically give up all your faith and say and, and put it in the hands of the doctors because obviously, look, they've been to medical school and, you know, they know what they're doing because otherwise they wouldn't be working at these facilities. And so you that's really where your hope and faith is, is is in these doctors that they're going to do it. I mean, and so, yeah, they began that treatment and and this was a lot, there were a lot of side effects with this, with this round. Um, there was a little bit of progress made and then, you know, the, but it wasn't enough to, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was in, um, in remission at that point. To, so then they had to do another round of chemo after that. And so that's, that's what, that's what they basically kept doing was they would do, chemo, see what happens. Okay. Shift gears, change things up, do chemo. Uh, so he was in the hospital for about a little over about five weeks. And then he got to come, he got to come home for 10 days and we were taking him every couple of days to get, to go to get test, you know, to see the doctors and to get lab work and so on and so forth. And then they did a, they did a CT right, uh, in around February 11th or 12th. They did a CT and it was not, they didn't like the CT and they said, uh, bring him back. And that was, that was when the big freeze happened. So I, I wanted him back in there because we had this big freeze coming our way into Houston. And then, so I sent Ethan and Angie back to the hospital at that point. And then, um, so that they could kind of ride this freeze out and I would ride it at home with, with our, with Ethan's older brother. Um, and you know, and, and they just kept firing what they could at it. But in the, you know, in the, in the end, what had happened was, is that uh, no matter what they did, they were, it wasn't, you know, like they would knock it out here, but something would appear elsewhere on the scans. Well, I, I guess the only consolation would be that you did end up in one of the great cancer centers in the country, uh, an MD Anderson, and I'm sure with the greatest doctors in the world. So if uh, obviously that's not too much consolation, but um, he was certainly uh, in the right place uh, if something positive was going to happen uh, for him. Now, Angie, I'd like to talk to you about a man by the name of Charlie Donaldson, who had created a bracelet that connects to a free app, took, I believe, four years to make, and essentially allows a patient to receive messages of love and support. And the name of this device uh, is a caring band. How did Ethan find out about this? And what was his reaction to it when he found out about it? So I had uh, read about it on one of my um, mom groups um, when it just came out. And I was curious about it. And I went to their website and I saw that it was it was local to our area um it was one of our neighboring cities in the woodlands that's what it, where it was based out of and it said that you can request a band and so i jumped on the opportunity and um requested it online it got shipped to us and i 
I showed it to Ethan. I was like, look. And, you know, of course, he's tech savvy and has an iPhone. And we downloaded the app and I downloaded the other version. So um, we tried it out and we, you know, I spread the news on social media for family members and friends to pass it along um, and in the community to, you know, um, go to download this app and, and search for his name and send him, um, send him positive thoughts. There were some canned messages that you can, you know, um, pick that like, I'm praying for you, or you got this, or you can send a pulse where it vibrates on his wrists. And he knew like every time someone was thinking about him, that, that, um, this, this band would either light up or pulse on his wrist. And it, it brought him some comfort to know, um, even though he didn't want to really talk to a lot of people during this time, um, that he was loved and cared about. Yeah, it almost went viral. I mean, it, it kind of did go viral because he was getting a lot of messages on it. And I and I, I thought it was going to just uh, kind of annoy him, but it didn't, you know, so I was, yeah. I was, you know. So with me being in the IT profession, I was kind of... Um, playing with the app and, you know, um, had some suggestions for Charlie. And so we decided to do like, like a conference call and, um, Ethan was interested. So I put it on speakerphone and Ethan gave his feedback and, um, on what he thought could be improved. And I gave my feedback on what I thought would be really neat to have. And, um, he just became inter- really interested in it, and he thought it was a good tool to to share with others and other children um, that are going through the same same battle that he did, the same journey. Well, as Brian had mentioned, he received an awful lot of messages. I believe the number was six thousand. Yes, which is, which is quite a few messages. I'd like to ask uh, Angie. I'll stay with you on this. How did the name Ethan Zohana, which is what he called his uh, bracelet? Uh, how was that um, thought of? So Ethan loved the Disney character Stitch, and one day he was drawing on his um, on his iPad with uh, he had one of these pencils, um, the Stitch character, and holding a sign that said Ohana. And so uh, we printed it out and we put it above his hospital bed. And one day his oncologist comes in and he looks at it and he's like, what's Ohana? And Ethan just said, um, Ohana means family and family means no one's left behind or forgotten. And so that's how we brought it together. Um, that you're part, whenever you're, you're join our journey or part of our journey, you're, you're, you're family. And, Ethan will never be forgotten um, and he will always be remembered and always honored. Well, certainly uh, um, the caring band uh, helped him in so many ways and I'm sure it helped everybody, including you uh, that knew him and loved him. You know, we real, real quick on the caring, we still get messages from people on the caring band. So we have, we still have the app, um, and we still get messages from people. And these are people that even know that he uh, has passed away. But I think, you know, they're they're not only sending them to Ethan, but they're also sending those to us. And so we do see them. Well, I, and, I think uh, that's that, that that's really t- truly amazing. It's now uh, November 
2nd of 2022, March, April, May, June, July. So it's been around 20 months or so um, that Ethan passed away, which happened, unfortunately, on uh, March 25th of 2021. So his legacy which we, which will be building in years to come, certainly was uh, started uh, right away and, and proven by the messages that you're still receiving. Brian, was Ethan able to have any kind of decent quality of life towards the, the last couple of months? Yeah. Um, so, you know, he tried, uh, you know, cancer kids are obviously, they have, you know, uh, they're, a lot of them are, they're all immune, immuno, immune compromised. And, but living under the COVID protocols, you know, was visitor. He, he, it's not like he could go play with other kids on the floor. So he, so it was a very isolating experience for, you know, for, for us. And so, yeah, but no, he, he did a lot of things that were, um, that could, uh, you know, like he would play with Lego sets. He would play with Tinker Crates. He would do those things and he would play on his computer all the time. He would text his friends. He would still play online games. He, he would, he would do those things. It wasn't until like the last two weeks that things got really bad. And I want to chime in on that while, while I was with him in the hospital, I encouraged him to uh to do art therapy to do music therapy to um his physical therapist came out his occupational therapist um he picked up uh the ukulele and he was learning how to 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 play the ukulele he was very musically talented because he he knew how to play the violin and um he he was with child life therapy a lot and they would take him one-on-one to to their activity room where he would play foosball with the child life therapist. He would build, he would do art. He would, he would build um, tinker crates. He even created a tinker crate that he used, that they use as, as a model to show other children how this is built uh, to illustrate. And they kept it there. Um, he, I, I, I tried to encourage him to be very involved while he was there Um so that he wouldn't feel left out or alone um, and and kept busy, kept his mind busy, his hands busy. He, he would play with the Rubik's Cube and he would leave it on his tray table and he would ask the doctors when they would come in to um, scramble it for him and he would solve it right in front of them. It was just amazing. Yeah, that, he, he learned how to solve the Rubik's Cube in the hospital. Um he watched a YouTube video, learned the algorithms, and within two hours, he was solving the cube. <laughs> well, obviously, if he was able to tell the nurse about <laughs> yeah. the, uh, uh, what was happening with the port and all that, uh, he certainly had a, a very uh, incredible mind. I'd like to ask each of you, uh, if you if you would like to, to really talk, and I'll start with um, with Brian here, talk about Ethan, the person, and what he was like. Um and and how obviously uh, he meant so much and uh, to 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 everyone who knew him. Wow, he was. Um... Oh God! We have those twenty-seven adjectives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have we have twenty-seven. We have twenty-seven words to describe him. The, um, this this thing that we got made twenty-seven words, but he was. And I'm actually going to call that up because this is a really good. Um, 
this is a really good overview of of him. I mean, Ethan, he was a son, a brother, a genius. He was brave. He was a fighter. He was handsome, very perceptive, curious, thoughtful, incredible, unselfish, kind, extraordinary. He was a gamer. He was so lovable, imaginative, creative, funny, helpful, musical, athletic, friendly, inspiring, courageous, knowledgeable, sincere. And lastly, he was a miracle. Angie, let me ask you something. Did Brian miss a word or miss a, a wonderful quality that Ethan had? Well, Ethan, I know he was our son, but he he amazed me. He was such such a bright child uh, from the young age of three. He had he was able to tell us when he wasn't satisfied with preschool that he wanted to switch schools because they weren't meeting his needs. So, you know, this is at age two, I guess he was he would he would cry. He's like, mommy, no, no. And so we had to change schools and then we brought him to another school, which he was for a year and he was just too bright for them. Like he could not, um, they wouldn't um, move him ahead until we finally moved him into a school that had a degreed preschool uh, teacher. And from there, she said, you know, you need to test, get him tested for gifted because you have an extraordinary child here. And I can recognize that from a young age when he was, um, my mother passed away when he was three and we were going somewhere with my father in the car and he recognized, he asked, where's grandma? At like three he, years old. At three years old. He said, where's grandma? Cause she would always go with us. And so, um, it was just amazing. And he would always spew out to, to me, all these random facts. Like he knew, about something. He's like, mom, did you know that whales, you know, and all these facts and cause he was very bright and he was into um, reading about amazing things and sharing. And he was just um, in school when other children were having difficulty uh, learning math. And um, he noticed a child was um, crying when, you know, the teacher was trying to, to teach him a lesson and, he went over and touched him on the shoulder and 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 explained it to the child um, for in a way that the child could understand. And, um, you know, the child was able to learn that way. And it was just a, just a it was just a blessing to all. Now, Angie, I want to stay with you on this as you and Brian have become quite involved since Ethan's passing, number of pediatric cancer programs, including the Candle Fighters uh, Fun Walk, which was recently completed. You've had a toiletry drive. You've asked team uh, a soccer team to give notice to childhood cancer awareness month in September. Do you think that as time goes on, you and Brian will become more involved in the cause of pediatric cancer? Yes, I do. Um, and in just the short time since his passing, we've, we've done quite a, quite a few events. We've given back to those organizations locally that have helped us. We've even been involved with, um, the, uh, internet, uh, 
the Alex lemonade stand. We did a lemonade stand to, to collect money for that. Um, any way we can um, in our community, we've held different toy drives for the children. Uh, we've had people knit hats uh, that we've given to the children in the hospital um, from us. And, you know, I was able to collect um, over a hundred hats that were hand knitted um, that we were able to give away, not only toiletries and, and, and things of that nature. So anything that we, we thought of that, you know, being in, in those parents' shoes and something that we would need um, that, uh, just would help the children and just, just put a smile on their face or, you know, um, because this journey is, is very hard. And um, for us, it was a very lonely journey just because of COVID um, and all that. So we don't want anyone to feel alone. Brian, how therapeutic have, has getting involved uh, to help other kids been for you and Angie? Uh, It's been amazing. Because um, having, unfortunately, lived this journey of having a child with cancer and then sadly having your child pass away from cancer. And um, I know what the struggles are like of, of a parent. And I know what the struggles are like after seeing my child um, have to kind of suffer through it. And um, so it's been, it's, it's great to give back. Because because I get to help others that helped me, um, I and I also get to share Ethan's story, which is very th- therapeutic. Well, that's certainly great to hear. Of course, Brian, how has this experience changed you? Oh, how has it how has it changed me? Wow, that's I'm a completely different person, um, in a lot of different ways. Um, I think the the biggest the biggest thing that I noticed about me is, you know, I used to worry about a lot of things and, you know, that, that old saying, don't sweat the small stuff. I used to always sweat the small stuff. Well, now I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. And I'm just, um, like the, the, um, you know, like, a, you know, like you have a kind of a, a box of stuff that I, you know, that, like all these things that I used to care about. It's a pretty small box now. I mean, it's pretty much just basically, um, I mean, I, 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 it's, it's really hard to describe, but I'm a completely different person. I think I'm a much more, um, patient person, a much more caring person, a much more, um, alert person, a much more, um, I'm, I'm really, I listen more and, um, I do what I can to, you know, kind of heal my life, but, um, I, I do it in a way that's helpful for me. You know, it's all about it's it's kind of like there's a lot of things that I don't care about, but then there's a lot of things that I do care about. So it's it's kind of it's really difficult to describe, to be honest with you. It really it really is. Well, you're describing it fine. And I have huh. to tell you that you really are, because I hear this so often that uh, that the changes that people go through, not sweating the small stuff, uh, being a prominent one, having a different perspective um on things and it's just uh obviously in many uh for many reasons uh it's a life uh, changing incident or uh obviously what happened with ethan and angie i'd like to 
ask you the same question. Have you uh, changed in any any noticeable way uh, in the last couple of years? Yeah, I try to. I try to do things that um, that that heal my heart. Um, you know, giving back to the to the children and to the families and to the organizations. I have, you know, so much love to give that I have a void in my heart right now um, for Ethan. And everything I do is for him and his memory and his honor. Um, things are different. Things are, you know, not the same group of friends understand what, what I've been through. The only people that understand me are other you know, other cancer families and other cancer moms that, that are bereaved. It's, it's interesting that, um, you know, you come from a different perspective now, life's different for us. And, um, the only people that understand me now are, are people that have been through it. And so, you know, I, you know, I just take everything with a grain of salt and, you know, I take one, one day at a time. And one step at a time and just try to, to, to live every day. Every day is a gift and to appreciate life. Well, I, I'm guessing that the, uh, the people that you um, are friendly with now who have been through this same journey, uh, obviously different outcomes, different types of cancer, but the principle always being the same, hopefully has been a great comfort to you and a great sounding board for you. Yes, it is. I just want to ask you one last question, Brian. You, um, Ethan has an older brother, Aiden. He's now 19 years old. How is he doing? And w- did he have to go through uh, on a on a uh, a day by day basis with what Ethan was suffering from? So yeah, his older brother, Aiden, is 19. He is uh, off at college now, so um, and he's doing as best as he could. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because the whole journey went through COVID. So you know, uh, so I was, as we always said, thank God for FaceTime because whenever Ethan was in the hospital, he was able to FaceTime with his with his brother because um, it's not like Aiden was able to go visit him at the hospital um, because that really didn't happen until it got bad in the end, you know, when it got, when it got bad in the end, then, then they let Aiden go visit him in the hospital. Um, but so, you know, I, Aiden, Aiden really misses his brother. We, you know, he isn't the most, um, how do I know? I, I didn't mean to say that he's, if you could edit that out. Um, he, I know he really misses his brother. And yeah, it's been it's been very uh, difficult for him, um, but he's always interested in everything that we're doing for Ethan, and he always likes to uh, if he's if he's if he's home in town from college, he will participate in whatever you know events or things that we're doing, and we go to, and he he always loves loves hearing the beautiful things about his brother. So yeah, he's he's doing as best he could. Um, He's probably going to listen to this podcast and be mad at me, but you know, honestly, I, I, 
as a father, you know, I, I really hurt inside because, you know, you know, you always have this, you always, you always paint a picture in your head of what you want your life to be or what you think your life's going to be. And, you know, I mean, I always imagine, oh, well, Ethan will be Aiden's best man and vice versa. And that's not going to happen anymore. But, um, so those are the, those are the moments that make me cry or get upset or those kind of things to know that, you know, for the rest of his life, he's always going to be like when someone asks them, Oh, do you have any siblings? Well, they'll be like, yeah, I, you know, had a little brother and he passed away from cancer. Obviously uh, the toughest of all situations as we yeah. come to the end of this podcast, where can people get in touch with you and, and whoever wants to answer this question as far as possibly down the road, uh, you talked about um, starting your own nonprofit. Uh, you've already got the name for it. And to, to learn a little bit more about Ethan and uh, his life uh, and your lives. So, yeah. So uh, it's ethansohana.org. E-T-H-A-N-S-O-H-A-N-A.org um, is our website. There's a contact at the bottom. You could also follow us on Facebook at Ethan's Ethan's Ohana on Facebook and on Instagram. So those are probably the best ways to follow us and what we're doing. And to also, uh, you could also message us on Facebook or Instagram or um, on the website, ethansohana.org. There's a, a thing at the bottom where you could contact us. Well, I just want to thank both of you for taking the time to talk about Ethan, such a uh, heartbreaking uh, end to, 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 uh, to what happened. And um, obviously, you're doing everything you can to enhance his legacy, which uh, you're, gonna, you're not going to have any trouble doing that. And as you get further along in your nonprofit work, um, I'm sure that that will, again, br bring a lot of uh, good therapy to both of you. I want to wish you and Aiden uh, much health and uh, or good health and much happiness uh, as time goes on. and. Uh, Thanks again for, for coming on my show. Thank you so much for having us. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Okay. Have a good day. You too. I am always amazed how parents who have lost a child to pediatric cancer have the ability to talk so beautifully about their child that they have lost to any form of this disease, with Brian and Angie being another great example of this. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Thursday when I will speak with Stephen Brantman, another amazing parent who lost his son, Jared, to spinal cancer in 2005. Stephen will talk about how the Pan Mass Challenge, which is the largest private charity fundraiser in the world, has become such a big part of the Brantman family and many others who bicycle each August to raise money in honor and memory of Jared. Stephen's team is called Team Kermit and has raised $6 million to help fund critical research, which has improved lives of kids who have suffered from the same type of cancer or similar cancer to what Jared was diagnosed with. I hope that all of you have the happiest of Thanksgivings and are able to spend this great holiday with your loved ones.